Welcome in. I'm the promo guy coming at you from New York City. Today is Thursday, June 29th. You'll be listening to this Friday at the earliest. This is now the ninth, 10th episode, thank you, Hank, of the Promo Guy podcast, now brought to you by Mojo, the stock market for sports, and Underdog Fantasy. I am once again joined by Nick from Blue Duck Media. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm sorry to hear about your uh, rec league loss this week. Uh, you, can we tell our fans a little bit about it? I don't mean I don't know if it's a sore subject. Oh man, cutting right into the wound, huh? I mean, it, it, the highlights I saw were worth talking about. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know if we need to get into those, but uh, but we unfortunately lost a very close game in the championship. I thought we had it. I've been in this league for years now and, you know, never been able to win it. This was definitely the, the closest we've gotten. Gotten to the championship before, but it wasn't that close of a game the last time we were there. And this one was wire to wire, very close. And, you know, we just, we came up a little bit short. So I'm still hurting from it, but season comes back quickly. And uh, we're going to have to, uh, you know, go on a revenge tour and win it all this year or this season because there's like four seasons. Yeah, I mean, I've been there. It, it's tough uh, getting there and coming up just a little bit short. Kind of, It kind of seems a little fitting as a Heat fan, you know? There you go. <laughs> there you go. You were just really slicing and dicing me up, huh? No, I mean, I told you. those. You sent three highlights to Hank and I, all three – were like, and you said they were consecutive plays. All three were like dead eye shooter threes, but I was more impressed. So I, I saw the first two and was like, all right, so we've got a Duncan Robinson comp. And then there was one where you in and out crossed the guy, beat him baseline, gave it up, and then relocated opposite corner. I was like, oh, wow, we're working. TPG could play. You know, uh, it's probably more energy than I normally play with, but you kind of got to leave it all out there. Um, yeah, those were taken by, they're not even supposed to be spectators at least, but my buddy's girlfriend was there. And you can kind of see in the third clip that I look over and notice that she was videoing. So so I, I, I texted her after the game if she had them, which is kind of a cool thing to, uh, to look at. It's not very often you, you see yourself uh, playing. But yeah, I had a nice stretch in the second yeah, half. Yeah, I, I, never, I never really know what the rule is on bringing your girlfriend to a rec league basketball game. Like I've wanted to do it a few times. I just, it kind of feel it's a tough balance of being like, Hey babe, you want to watch me play like a bunch of 30 year old. It just feels like a weird move. Yeah. You know, I, I don't really judge. I know that it's um, not something I would ask my wife to do, nor would she ever <laughs> consider doing um so you know she she watched me uh she's watched me play before uh you know i think i think she's got the idea whether whether uh you know she's got better things to do at that time not to not to down play you know people who do go it's very nice and supportive thing maybe she was in the area uh i'm not like super close with her but it was it was her instagram story so then wow then i felt pretty comfortable I, I i i did i did find that kind of a funny little tidbit that she had two videos up and they weren't of him, they were of me. But <laughs> let's let's go. Maybe I, I still think the Tyus Jones cop is, is a lot better than like the Duncan cop or anything, but it depends on the game, I guess. All right, assist to turnover ratio. Um <laughs> exactly. all right. I like it. Let's uh let's hit the state of the stack. How have things been? Yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, we're starting to hit sort of the quieter season. Uh so the promos. I'm pretty happy with DraftKings and Caesars, who 
have continued to keep it going. Yeah, it's a bit annoying that some of the DraftKings promos have now dropped from $10 to $5. Uh, we had, I think last week, the golf had just gone underway. So we had the FanDuel golf boost hit. Then there was the, the plus 300 hit. It wasn't in New York, but it was like everywhere else besides Virginia. So the FanDuel boosts have been relatively successful. And the golf boost had a really high EV, but... For the most part, I mean, there wasn't even a boost posted yesterday. I thought that was kind of crazy. Uh, you don't see that too often. So I'd like to see FanDuel sort of pick up their volume. Uh, again, in terms of performance, the DraftKings sweat-free stuff's been really good. In the last week, we've hit three, and I believe we hit one of the free bets as well. So a really successful week there. Caesars, bit up and down, probably end up up on the week just because of the... Austin Riley home run. So I think that that probably nets out positive. And they've come out with a few targeted promos as well, which I do in the Discord. Uh, oh, I have a promo code, uh, which I'll say out in a second. But so overall, I would say the, the main promo Twitter stuff has been, you know, small up and relatively happy just because DraftKings and Caesars went away at this time last year. It's nice to see them being relatively consistently uh, here. And then in terms of the Discord, uh, kind of more the same, just like, you know, I think officials are flat, maybe small, down on the week. Dinger Tuesday is really the, again, the highlight, a really awesome week again for Dinger Tuesday. The free bets did incredibly well from last week, and then the home run plays again. Profitable uh, for anything. I'm looking at the net results here. So limited is now up $730.40 and adds $50 in free bets, obviously. So we've Upped our average now to, so last week we were at 654. So, you know, whatever, we had a $75 plus, um, plus week there. So now we're up to $61 per week average profit. That is, and we have $50 in free bets to sort of stretch that up higher. Again, that is really great because the whole promo is you bet home runs and get $50 max free bets. So if we are averaging over $50 in profits, really over like $40 in profits, that means we're converting at 80% and that we're breaking even on the home runs or some form of that. So to be, you know, 50% higher than that means we are crushing the free bets or and or crushing the home runs. So really happy with how the limited group's doing. Equally happy with how the unlimited group is doing. Uh, unlimited has moved up to $1,336 in profits and has $170 in free bets to add to that uh, this week. So very happy with Dinger Tuesday. The promo code is... July 4, 50% off the Discord. So it's just $7.50 a month. And July 4, that runs through July 4th. And I'm going to do a Discord giveaway because I don't like to do a promo code without paying the people that are actually paying for it currently. <laughs> so that is the state of the stack. I've got a question for you. Oh, okay. Sorry. What's up, Nick? So do you find that baseball season ends up being, even though for like a casual gambler like me, it tends to be a little less fun. Do you find that it ends up being a little bit more profitable because of the, just the volume of games where a lot of what you're doing is profitable over a, like the numbers just make sense over a large enough sample size. And so with something like baseball, the sample size just gets large enough that you know, you're going to be profitable. So does baseball is the summer like your prime time? You know, I guess I've, I've gone sort of up and down with this. I would say two years ago, the answer was probably yes where Dinner Tuesday was just such a phenomenon uh, and that the books were really continuing to pump out a lot of promos and boosts. Last year, Dinger Tuesday went, you know, almost 
as well as the first year. I think it was up $2,800 last year. So, you know, in, in three months, $2,800 on $25 bets is pretty good, forgetting about all of the rest of it. Uh, although I will say, actually, there was one bad month two years ago. But anyway, I think the main th- reason why I'll say that football basketball is just going to be more profitable overall, even if it's lower ROI, is that there's just a lot more promos and boosts. You know, I remember we had one Sunday of NFL season where there were like seven, 10% EV boosts, 10% plus EV boosts on FanDuel. So it's pretty, it's pretty hard to compete with that, but Dinger Tuesday is so great. And even the limited version, you know, like I said, you know, is, our, is already up $730. So it's really pacing nicely, uh, considering we should have another couple months of this. But I'll still lean uh, football and basketball just because the promos are, get really great there. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right. And moving on to the gambling landscape update. Uh, what's going on? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, you know, we've kind of covered that just with the, I sort of started with that, doing the season of DraftKings sticking around and FanDuel's got, had a couple nice boosts, but uh, I'd like to see them be a lot more active. Obviously, they do have Dinger Tuesday, but I, I don't really have anything more to say on the uh, gambling landscape update. So let's go to the Wheel of Sports. We have a few uh, fun ones today. All right, let's give it a spin. Let me just first read for you what we've got on the wheel today. We've got Larry Bird, a European star in today's game. We've got Dame Lillard, fake trades. Herman, a perfect game for the Yankees. We've got NFL sleeper teams and TPG's real name. Let's see what we get. Oh, all right. Our first topic, would Larry Bird be a star in today's NBA? Uh, Dennis Rodman said this week that if Larry Bird played today, he'd be in Europe. Uh, We're talking about a 12-time All-Star Three-time MVP, three-time champ here. Would Larry Bird be playing for Barcelona if he was in? Uh, if he was around today? Uh, no, I don't think he'd be playing in Barcelona. I think he'd be. Uh, I think he'd be in the NBA today. But I did kind of like that. It was said only to sort of open up this conversation around the evolution of basketball and and athletics in general. So. My main case against Larry Bird being like a top five, top 10, honestly, top 15 player today is has nothing to do with his game. I think that a lot of the arguments get lost in, oh, Larry, you know, we watched Larry Bird, his highlights so dominant, all that. People obviously were also alive for that. It felt like he never missed 50, 40, 90, all of that. Larry Bird is one of the best players of all time if you take everything for their era, right? And I think all of these conversations about Oh, MJ and LeBron or Magic versus whoever and KD, Larry Bird, like all these conversations should be taken uh, for their era because it's just not fair to the earlier generations to compare them to today's players. Like if you teleported, like there was that one conversation, uh, it was JJ Redick was saying that if Kyrie Irving got dropped into the 1960s, they would think that he's like a witch, right? Um and I think Bob Cousy came back and said, have you ever heard of Bob Cousy and, and John Havlicek, like Bill Russell? Like, I think I think there were some pretty good plumbers back in the day. It's like, you just named names that were good against their own competition. I don't know how enlightening that was. But anyway, so obviously you can kind of tell where I'm heading with this. I think that basketball players are a lot better today than they were back in the day. 
And mostly that is athletes are a lot better than they were back in the day. So if you start out, if you look at like track times, swimming times, pitching velocities, a lot of this stuff has improved dramatically over the last 40 years, right? Larry, Larry Bird was playing in his true prime. I think he got drafted in 79, but he had done four years of college. So I think he was really good coming out the gate. His prime was early to mid 80s. And if you think back to that time, if you look back at like the, again, the numbers of that time, athletes have improved tremendously. And the, the top guys in other sports, whether it's track, swimming, I like to do the pitching velocity stuff. Like if you look at those guys, not many people would argue that they would be the top players today because we have literal time to show that they probably wouldn't. Uh, so I, I get confused why people think that it would be any different in basketball. When basketball, a lot of people, it's well known that the games back when Larry was starting were on tape delay. It wasn't nearly as popular as it was today. If you go back earlier, guys had other jobs. Just the NBA wasn't this, you know, huge lucrative thing when Larry Bird was growing up and you had less competition sort of domestically in terms of guys investing themselves. You know, every kid sees it as a way out. Every kid sees it as a way to get rich. Train, you know, trainers up the wazoo are seeing this as a way to improve. And you just get all of this sort of attention and resources put into basketball since that time. Much more so relatively than, again, I'll go with track, swimming, baseball. Like those sports were haven't seen the, the tremendous growth that the NBA has. And that's just domestically. Now look at overseas. Now, now the whole rest of the world are half of the top guys. The last five MVPs, I think it is, the last five years of MVPs have been international guys. And now you're competing against the whole world where you don't have that in other sports and basketball didn't have that back then. So I think it's very reasonable to say that the top guys in basketball in the 80s would be, in the 70s, would be a lot worse in today's game if they even are NBA guys. And again, I think Larry Bird would be. But the amount that the game has grown is much more than other sports. And other sports, we have clear records and times showing that the top guys from back then would struggle today. Sorry, go ahead. No, I I get that. I just think that we're talking about, we're not talking about a good player from back then. We're talking about a guy that won three consecutive MVPs, best player in the world in a row, that... And, and basketball is not a game of simply athleticism. Basketball is a game where Luka Doncic is not the most athletic person. He has touch, feel, spatial awareness, and is able to beat people by outsmarting them on top of some of the physical gifts he have. He has. This is a guy who won the three-point shooting contest three times. This is like probably the best passing forward in our in the history of basketball outside of LeBron James. This is a guy that like knows the game had a mental game way above what most players had would go out there and tell guys what he was about to do to them and then do it to them it's not like he was actually going against a bunch of plumbers he he really was a dominant all-time great and to think that the best player from the 1980s i know you agree that he wouldn't be playing overseas but to think he wouldn't be an all-star is crazy let alone like He'd be one of the faces of the league. I just don't know how it's even possible that if you teleported him again, you don't give him the modern stuff and you just teleported him from whatever year you want to pick, call it 1984 into. And we get the Knicks Celtics playing. I do not see Julius Randle doing a, who it was second team all NBA and I'm a Knicks fan. I don't see Julius Randle doing a thing against him. 
Like, it's not even like he'd get eaten defensively. He had a good NBA body, and he would go to work on him on the other end of the floor. Okay. Uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Yes, he looks great. and But there are a lot of guys that, that look great that would be similar size, similar shooting abilities in today's world that, that aren't top whatever guys. I mean, you look at his three-point percentage, and he was what, the best shooter of his era, right? Everybody kind of agrees with that. People are like, oh, he'd be even better today because – People would shoot more threes, except for he's a 37.3% three-point shooter. Like, he on 1.9 attempts a game. So he wasn't this, I mean, that that is nothing compared to, that's not like this amazing shooting wing. What about Kevin Durant, who's taller, shoots better, and, you know, has all that stuff that you mentioned, right? Like, I, I don't really like to do that kind of thing. Yeah, today's game's a little bit more well-spaced out and leads to a lot more help, which leads to a few more open threes. So it's tough to really compare the percentages. But Larry Bird only chose to take one to two threes a game. You don't think that he was choosing, like, pretty quality looks? Not to mention, I don't think that... If you, if you go to the 90s, yes, it was it was much worse spacing. But the 80s were higher scoring than the 2010s. The 80s were incredibly high scoring and incredibly incredibly well spaced because guys couldn't shoot. I would say they were incredibly well paced, but not necessarily well, incredibly well spaced. You think people were? You think people were hugging guys out from 30 feet back in the 80s? No, they were they were staying in the paint. Because that's where most of the scoring was done. <laughs> yeah, but there was a culture, uh, like a stigma around shooting threes where it just like was not something that people did on a regular basis. I think if Larry Bird was putting up six, seven, eight threes a game. I agree. They only took really good look. They only took really good looks. And he still was only shooting 37%. Or end of shot clock, like desperation attempts. Yeah, but even then there was the stigma. Def- like it wasn't defended the same way it is today. And... If you look at, like, the great shooting forward today, how about Duncan Robinson? Who, and I'm not comparing Larry Bird to Duncan Robinson. But Duncan Robinson, in his better years, shoots in the low 40%. And he's taking, I mean, very tough shots. He's running around and guys hugging him the whole way. Like, and he's not a star. But he he is taking a higher difficulty of shot in a game where people are terrified of him shooting. And he has the green light to shoot five feet beyond the arc. And he's still shooting in the low 40%. So, so to say that back then Larry Bird would be a top shooter today, if you just teleported in, him in, it almost seems reckless. Like it's, a, it's an advanced game. There's higher competition globally. There's higher competition domestically than when he was there. So yeah, he was the best or the second best or maybe the third best, depending on when you put like Michael Jordan in there or Kareem, whatever. He was a top three guy for his entire, whatever you want to call it, seven, eight year prime. I have no arguments with that. And who knows what that really translates to today. But I know in other sports where there's been less evolution, it wouldn't translate that great. Yes, he'd be one of the 450 best players in the world, of course. But I don't think he'd be top 10. Just adding European guys like Giannis and and Jokic and whatever just puts guys in front of him that just weren't there back then. Yeah. I get that the talent, the pool to draw talent from is larger. I just think that the talent set that he had and kind of just the mental toughness and the competitor that he was kind of puts him, if you drop him in into one game, maybe 
he isn't exactly the same player, but you drop him in and like he gets to put in the work that these guys get to put in and like uh, gets to benefit. Oh, sure. I just think in this era. He... Yes, I, I think that's a completely different argument, though. OK, fair. I'm saying you drop him in as he's warming up on the court in 83. And instead of playing against the 83 Knicks, he's playing against the 2023 Knicks. Yeah, I mean. And I, I don't I don't think he's giving Julius Randle work. I also don't think Julius Randle's really an all-NBA guy. But uh, I, I want to ask you one question about this. So, so in the 80s, it seems like you think, okay, mental toughness, had the skill set, whatever. What if I go further back? Would you rather have today Bill Russell or Kelly Olenek? <laughs> Bill Russell. I think that's crazy. I don't think that's crazy. I, I and I was by the way I would have given you I would have given you a lot of players but, but I Kelly Olynyk or Bill Russell Bill Russell try try again I think I would take Bill I think I'd take Tyson Chandler on the Knicks over Bill Russell I think I'd take DeAndre Ayton over Hold Bill on. Russell No no we're we're, stick, we're sticking with Kelly Olynyk How much do you think Bill Russell What do you think his size and weight was back in the day uh, I feel like he was a bit undersized for a center. I think he was maybe 6'10". Yeah, it says 6'10". It says listed weight 215 pounds. Okay, I was going to guess like 240. Yeah, let's give him 225 because that that seems crazy light. But I don't know. That's what Wikipedia says. Now, Kelly Olenek, let's look up his size. 6'11", 240. Okay. I mean, I don't care so about Kelly these. So, Kelly is bigger? Yeah, He's, I don't care about these measurements. Without doubt bigger, right? He can dribble much better. He can shoot much better because he's like a 40% three-point shooter. Bill Russell was like a 40% free-throw shooter. Uh, he's a much better passer. Kelly Olenek's a much better passer. Kelly Olenek is not a leader of men. Kelly Olenek would be like Magic Johnson point guard back in the 60s. And he could shoot better, he could dribble better, he could pass better, and he's bigger. All Bill Russell could do, he was a defensive nightmare, right? He was a great defensive big. He was 215 pounds. He would get bullied, right? I mean... He couldn't even score against guys that Wilt was putting up 50 a night against, right? So in what world do you what what world does Bill Russell play in the NBA today as like a legit player at 6'9, 215 that can't dribble pass or hit a free throw? Yeah, the answer is he plays the same role that NBA champion Ben Wallace played. Oh, come on. He plays the same role that Tristan Thompson played on Tristan the Bronx Cavs. He's a lot bigger re- than, than Bill Russell was. He's a rebounder and a and a defender. Yes, but he's not big enough to be a defender. I mean, is, I, I think it's it's uh, so much. That's what I'm saying. Like you're you're gonna stick him on Jokic. Also, I think Ben Wallace would struggle today. But so much about defense. I mean, Ben Jim, Wallace had 25 pounds on him. Draymond is six foot six. Like so much of being a defender. Draymond could play point guard. Draymond can play point guard. He can shoot threes. So much about being a good... He shoots like 70-something percent from the line. But we're just talking about him being able to be a good defender. Draymond is an all-NBA defender being able... But he's not guarding bigs. He guards bigs all the time. He's one of the best post-up defenders in the league because he has a low center of gravity and he's strong. He's not guarding true post-up bigs. And and, and if so, that's, that's like as a versatility guy, not as like a preferred option. They'd much rather have the loonies and the bogats of the world on those guys. And, and Draymond more plays the four. And he does a great job with it. But what, Bill Russell's going to get switched on to LeBron? LeBron's got 40 pounds on him. Fair enough. I just <laughs> got a text from producer Hank. It's time It's time for us to move on. Okay. Um, I, I, I like this argument. Uh, let, let's give it a go, though. Spinning the wheel.
Uh, great. We've got one that I don't know too much about. We've got Domingo Herman pitching a perfect game for the Yankees last night. It's the 24th perfect game in the MLB history. Uh, he only pitched 99 pitches through nine innings, and the Yankees beat the A's 11-0. Uh, is this impressive? Like, obviously, it's an impressive feat, like one-game feat, but, like, why when we look at the list of 24 people who have done it, are there very few names that I know? Yeah, that's the crazy thing to me, too. I'm with you. Like, why is – what I assume he's the fifth starter for the Yankees. His ERA was, like, in the fives before yesterday. He had given up 10 runs last game. Like, why is it these kind of guys that throw perfect games, but you don't really see that kind of thing happen in other sports? I know there's a usage component to it, but – I've got a question for you. Yeah. What feat in basketball or football would you compare this to? Is this scoring 50? Is this rushing for 200 yards? Um, I would think it's, I don't know how many times it's done, but I guess my mind goes to a quarterback that has zero, like, I don't know about zero incompletions because you'd never really see that, but it but it would be pretty close to that. Maybe like an 80% completion percentage, no interceptions and, you know, four plus touchdowns. Like whatever gets you to 24, happening 24 times ever, I guess the basketball equivalent has to be like a 60-point game, except for I, I think of it more like a 20-assist game with zero turnovers. Yeah. Just because of the perfection of it. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think in order to ha- find a list where you get almost random names pop up, I think going with something like 200, a 200-yard 200 rushing game makes sense because you see a few names that you'd expect to be on there. And then you see names like Sean Moreno had a 200-yard game. Jay Ajay had right. a 200-yard game. Like um, I looked through the list. Alfred Morris somehow rumbled for 200 yards. Um, so I, I think that might be a good comp. 50-point scores. I, I like that. Yeah, 50-point yeah, scores, you get a bunch of random guys as well. Like, you see – if you look at it, it's littered with, like, the Devin Bookers, Kyrie Irvings, Kevin Durant, James Harden. But then you get, like, Mo Williams, Terrence Ross, TJ Warren. Like, Sadiq Bay had one. Corey Brewer wow. had one. Sadiq Bay had a 60-point game. Well, 50, 50. But I think, he, I think he dropped 57 in that one. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, do, I, I, I like the, the running back comp, but maybe the 50-point makes more sense. Just the, the one thing that's so cool about a perfect game is basically all you. I know there's catchers and fielders and whatever, but you know, the vast majority of it is you. And you can't lose, at least not in regulation, right, if you throw a perfect game. Like, it's just so untouchable. And obviously, any shutout would, would look the same, but... It's like you didn't even give them a chance. Where a 200-yard rusher or a 50-point score, it's you don't even know if your your team, you know, how, how that what that meant for your team. I know Devin Booker had 70 and they got killed, if I remember right. So I, I think it's it's a bit cooler than those, and I get why it's such a big deal. But I, I'm with you. I get confused when it's not Clayton Kershaw doing it. It's you know. Domingo Herman. But anyway, to make Hank happy, let's um, let's take a break and then we'll we'll come back for the B block. Cool. Okay, I've got a new promo code for Mojo, the stock market for sports. The code is TPG Match. So TPG M A T C H gets you a twenty percent deposit match up to two hundred dollars. 
Uh, I highly recommend doing this and playing their Sunday Slams promotion, which is only available in New Jersey and has been incredibly profitable for people tailing ROI guy in the Discord. So again, TPG match, 20% deposit match up to $200. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Draft a fantasy team against your friends for tonight's or tomorrow's games to win cash prizes. Or try out their Pick'em game where you can predict player stat projections for a chance to win big. Underdog's slick mobile app is easy to use and it's even easier to just start playing. Go to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Sign up with the promo code PGP, the Promo Guy Podcast, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PGP. So this is an interesting one coming out of the NBA draft. The morning of the draft, Shams tweeted that Scoot Henderson is gaining serious momentum at the number two with the Charlotte Hornets in tonight's NBA draft. Hornets have been torn over the last week between Henderson and Miller. Team has final meetings today to settle on decision. So at the time that he said that, Brandon Miller was favored to go second. Very quickly, Henderson became the favorite number two, two pick. On FanDuel, his odds moved to minus 380 within 20 minutes of Sham's tweet. He works and has a TV show on FanDuel TV. Do we think this was collusion to affect the line and benefit FanDuel? This got a lot of kind of noise uh, around draft time. And I always think that, and I've said it on this podcast a bunch of times, that the draft and things that are kind of knowable and everyone's just trying to figure out before the books do what the result's going to be are bizarre. And I'm always surprised when the books offer tight markets on the thing that's this volatile. And this went back and forth with like minus 600 each way. Uh, it was pretty crazy movement. Uh, Shams was a part of that. He, like you say, he had this tweet and the fact that he gets paid by FanDuel, I don't look. I don't think it was intentional. I don't think FanDuel said, "Hey, go." We, we FanDuel said, "Hey, I know that you know that Brandon Miller is going too, but create some scoop buzz so that people bet on scoop." I don't think that that is how it went down. Uh, I don't think that it's part of his contract to one know exactly what's going to happen and then to mislead everybody. Like he's got a big career in front of him. He gets paid a lot. Other people, other. Places besides for FanDuel would pay him a lot. So I, I don't think that he would jeopardize his own career and his war with Woj over, you know, getting bribed a bit extra by FanDuel for this. So I think that part of it's pretty ridiculous. What I don't think is ridiculous is people feeling icky about the whole thing. Like FanDuel did benefit from this tweet. And Shams is looked at as an insider who knows all knows exactly what's going to happen. The tweets are can be cryptic or misleading or whatever. And that, you know, people genuinely bet based off of what he tweets all the time. He, especially with the draft, him and Woj can really sway lines, money, the whole thing. And it's just kind of icky when he gets paid by the person that, you know, 50% of people are, are betting with. But when I say person, I mean FanDuel. 
So yeah, I think the whole thing's icky. Now, what can be done about it? Like, I just don't think it should be allowed or it should be done. I don't know if allowed is the right word. Like, is it the gaming commission saying, hey, you can't be in bed with FanDuel and be a major player in betting markets? I could see that. I don't know if I feel super strongly that they need to. It's kind of a slippery slope of what employees affect betting markets, what employees can fan FanDuel have and not have. And when I say employee, he's... Uh, he's on their show. Like he's on FanDuel Live TV, right? It's not like he's an accountant there. And so I'm not sure if it's the gaming commission. It could be. I support it, but I don't know if I feel strongly. I think FanDuel may say, hey, you know what? This seems kind of weird. We're getting a bunch of backlash for that. Maybe we shouldn't be so closely tied and have him as a partner of ours or employee or whatever you want to call it. And then I could also see Chums saying, yeah, you know what? It's hard for people to take what I'm, and this might be the most likely, it's hard for people to take what I'm tweeting seriously if they get burned a couple of times. They feel like there's an alternate motive. Yeah, exactly. Like if you you can't trust the source, that's his whole career. And he has too big of a career, too lucrative of a career in front of him to mess around with it for the slightly highest bidders from what I imagine. But I don't know. What do you think, Nick? I think it just feels wrong. Like, I I don't know if we have a definitive answer, but I just think that people with the most inside knowledge tweeting out and moving the line, but working for the people that benefit off of sports gambling just feels weird. And it, it, it like, I don't know what the answer is. I don't think that it's Shams stops tweeting about updates that he learns around the draft. I don't know if it's like it, I, I feel very confident as do you that he's not this isn't in his contract and there's no he doesn't see like a portion of how well FanDuel is so he, or FanDuel does on any given bet. So he's not incentivized to do this knowing that FanDuel will profit. But it does just feel like we're just trusting that Shams is a good guy who cares more about his integrity and his reputation than he does about helping his employers and like they could be i'm sure he has to re-up their his contract with them in the next two three years and doing little things like this here and there to help them out like on a wink wink deal probably isn't a bad negotiating tactic but then again i think uh, like that's definitely not what's happening here i just it feels a little bit too much like it's just, yeah, we trust that you're doing the right thing. And it should probably be something that's like controlled. Like just because the NFL has a relationship with gambling companies, its players are not allowed to have, are not allowed to gamble. And it probably feels like just because the NBA has a relationship with gambling companies, its reporters shouldn't potentially. Right. Yeah, no, that's a really good point with the NFL because this feels a lot ickier than some Lions player betting on an NBA game at the facility, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think we agree he's not getting paid, but you know, this, there's no like collusion here, but it, it feels wrong. And uh, I mean, you can't have for his career where he, he's not allowed to tweet about the draft. So I think that there should be a split. One of, one of these three entities, whether it's him, FanDuel, or the commission should probably just break this thing up. Uh, we just don't. There's enough messiness at the draft. We don't need this clouding over it. Yeah, I mean, you've been on this for a while. When it, when we're talking about no betting on knowable things, 
it, it just feels like there's a lot of gray area and maybe should be something that isn't uh, done or at least is heavily limited. Um, yeah. Look, if the books are willing to hang lines out that are tight, like I'm never going to be against that. I, I'm just I'm just always surprised that they do because of how volatile the market this is. Like when I was trading and you had a, especially like during COVID, I think back like things were so volatile then like you were a lot wider with your prices. But when things would swing kind of in this sort of a way, you had to protect yourself from basically just getting run over. And I'm always a little bit surprised that the sports books treat it like any other market uh, where they're not wider on it, where they don't protect themselves more. But I guess that's just the trader in me. I don't know if they should stop offering it, but yeah, I also guess that they have closer access to some of these insider markets. So I wouldn't be surprised if Shams gives them a quick heads up before he tweets anything out, so they can protect themselves a little bit. Well, then that should definitely stop <laughs> because that would be some form of collusion thing that would be very inappropriate. Um, but anyway, should we get to grind my gears before Hank yells at us again? Yeah, what's uh, what's got you uh, fired up this week? You know what really grinds my gears? I'll admit, I'm not as fired up as I have been in weeks past. Maybe I'm mostly fired up that a lot of the things I've complained about in the past haven't been fixed, most notably the over-under total runs in the SGPs for FanDuel and Caesar. I'm just going to mention it every week at this point. But there was a tweet that got some kind of, you know, got some kind of viralness to it uh, that was talking about how every book should have two-sided lines in every market. And I love it. Uh, so what grinds my gear is that they aren't doing it. One-way markets are terrible. We've done defend that line where we kind of see where, where books can take advantage of that. Uh, I would love to see more and more two sides of a bet because really the important part of two-sided bet is you're never going to show plus 120 at minus 280, right? That would look ridiculous and you'd get made fun of and and people would never bet into that market, most importantly for them, right? Nobody's betting on a plus 120 minus 280 market. Even the dumbest of gambler is staying away from that. They're like, hey, that looks stupid, right? But if a sports book on a certain market thinks that, let's, let's say it's on an anytime touchdown score, and the true, the true value is, you know, plus 180, and they know that people are going to bet on DeAndre Hopkins touchdown at plus 120, even if the fair odds are plus 180, because it just doesn't look that ridiculous. Like, mentally, people, it's hard to sort of figure out the difference between something happening 36% of the time versus, you know, 45% of the time. Like, it's not intuitive for, for a lot of people. Um, so they can kind of get away with it. And they'll still get action on the plus 120 line, especially for people who don't line shop even though they really think it's about a plus 180. And why I think that, so they think they can get away with it, that's why they do it, but they would never get away with it if there are two-way markets. If you introduce two-way markets into the ecosystem, they're still going to offer, and this isn't one of those, well, if they don't limit, then you know sports betting looks different. No, this would just be them making a little bit less money, maybe getting some more handle though, so it might offset, where you know maybe you could introduce a plus 150 minus 210 market and or even minus 220 you know it's a plus 150 minus 220 for a plus 180 fair and people feel like they're not getting cheated because they're not getting cheated anymore they're getting a reasonable price and they can make a decision whether to bet on it or not there's no real reason not to offer a two-way market other than to hide the amount of vig that you're doing and that doesn't mean every single one-way market is bad but 
They oftentimes are. They oftentimes are very bad. And it's sort of a way for books to protect themselves and also not show how much they are protecting themselves. So that's what grinds my gears. I thought it was a great tweet. I don't remember who tweeted it, but it came across my timeline. So thank you, Elon. And I hope that we see a lot more two-way markets, especially this upcoming NFL season. I understand it when it comes to more niche sports and markets, you know, DraftKings, Vandal, whatever, they can't be everywhere. And they might want some protection in certain markets. I sort of get it, even though it's still a bit scummy. But I would like to see anytime touch, like let's let's just do low-hanging fruit here of anytime touchdowns. They absolutely can price this with fair odds. It's a very heavily bet market. Let's see two-way markets for anytime touchdowns. Maybe grinds my gears has worn me down a bit where a lot of stuff hasn't gone done, but this feels like something that can't, you know, that, that's really easy to get done. Anytime touchdown markets, two-way, two-way lines, please, some book, do it. So they would be offering the line for someone not to score at all in the game is what you're, is what you're asking for? Yeah. Yeah. Not to score a touchdown. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah, asking. Yeah. Honestly, I, I think that that's, that would be a great bet and that'd be something that like is honestly somewhat fun to root for like every time you're in the red zone you're like not that guy not that guy not that guy <laughs> so uh, the degenerate in me is like all on board for uh for two-way lines there uh, well honestly that's that's good info i mean that's good info and and hopefully that they're um not specifically taking it with you but they're you know if, if they can get more handle on it that will make up for the you know reduction in vig so uh hopefully that that is something they put into action but anyway, uh, thank you to our sponsors, Underdog Fantasy and Mojo, Stock Market for Sports. Uh, reminder, July 4, J-U-L-Y, and then the number 4, uh, promo code 50% off the Discord. Stay tuned because, once again, the Promo Guy podcast will be back for episode 11 next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Nick. Yep. Have a good one.